My name is Kevin Bates, and I'm a pastor in Sherwood, Oregon. And each and every week, we desire to take theological principles, biblical stories and narratives, and all the genres of scripture and help you immerse yourself in order to embody and apply them to your everyday life. I want to encourage you to tune into this online broadcast each and every week. And ways you can support our ministry is first, follow our Instagram page, then like our Facebook page. And you can listen to this online broadcast and make sure to comment underneath on whatever social media channel you listen to or follow. You can financially support our ministry through our website, resonatelife.org, under the Give tab. So you are joining us live on Thursday night at 8.30 p.m. for this uh, broadcast, and this is going to be replayed as a part of our Sunday morning broadcast as well at 10 o'clock. So every Thursday night, we're coming together for this, and we're giving a live and better understanding of the material that we are covering. So call this a deeper dive into the book of Exodus. So you have been following us, if you have, online, you will remember that we're in the book of Exodus, and today we are discussing Exodus 4.18 through 6.1. So I am joined today with Sherea Bodner and Jacob Flug. These are two of my leaders at Resonate. Good evening, Jake and Sherea. How are both of you doing tonight? Hey, doing okay over here. Good. You guys? Excellent. Thank you. Very good. Thanks. I appreciate you joining tonight. And we're going to jump right in because we try to keep this or we're going to try to keep this to a one hour live broadcast. And so we want to make sure to jump in and give you as much material and walk through the scripture as much as possible without you following us, falling asleep on us. We are going to go to 930 so if you can make this a part of your regular Thursday night schedule, that would be great. So go ahead. Let's read section 418 through 61. So Jake has that for us tonight. 419 through 61, right? The Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt because everyone there who wants to kill you has died. So Moses took his wife and his children and put them on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. Moses also carried the shepherd's rod from God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, make sure that you appear before Pharaoh and do all the amazing acts that I've given you the power to do. But I'll make him stubborn so that he won't let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my oldest son. I said to you, let my son go so he could go worship me. But you refuse to let him go. And as a result, now I'm going to kill your oldest son. During their journey, as they camped overnight, the Lord met Moses and tried to kill him. But Zipporah took a sharp edged flint stone and cut off her son's foreskin. Then she touched Moses' genitals with it. And she said, you're my bridegroom because of bloodshed. So the Lord let him alone. And at that time, she announced a bridegroom because of the bloodshed by circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he went and Aaron met him at God's mountain and greeted him with a kiss. Moses said to Aaron, what the Lord has said about his mission and all the signs that the Lord had told him to do. Then Moses and Aaron called together all the Israelite elders. Aaron told them everything that the Lord had told to Moses, and he performed the signs in front of the people. The people believed. When they heard that the Lord had paid attention to the Israelites and had seen their oppression, they bowed down and worshiped. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, Israelites' God, says. Let my people go so that they can hold a festival for me in the desert. But Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord whom I'm supposed to obey by letting Israel go? I don't know this Lord and certainly won't let Israel go. 
Then they said, the Hebrews, God, has appeared to us. Let's go on a three-day journey into the desert so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Otherwise, the Lord will give us deadly disease or violence. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you making the people slack off from their work? Do the hard work yourselves. Pharaoh continued, the land's people are now numerous, yet you want to stop their hard work? On the very same day, Pharaoh commanded the people's slave masters and supervisors, don't supply the people with the straw they need to make bricks like you did before. Let them go out and gather the straw for themselves, but still make sure that they produce the same number of bricks as they made before. Don't reduce the number. They are weak and lazy, and that's why they cry, let's go and offer sacrifices to our God. Make the men's work so hard that that's all they can do, and they can't focus on these empty lies. So the people's slave master and supervisors came out to the people and said, this is what the Pharaoh says. I'm not going to give you straw anymore. Go and get the straw on your own, wherever you can find it, but your work won't be reduced at all. So the people spread out over throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The slave masters drove them hard and said, make sure you make the same daily quota as when you had the straw. The Israelite supervisors whom Pharaoh's slave masters had set over them were also beaten and asked, why didn't you produce the same number of bricks yesterday and today as you did before? Then the Israelite supervisors came and pleaded to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw supplied to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. Look at how your servants are being beaten. Your own people are to blame. Pharaoh replied, you are lazy bums, nothing but lazy bums. This is why you say, let us go offer sacrifices to the Lord. Go and get back to work. No straw will be given to you, but you still need to make the same number of bricks. The Israelite supervisors saw how impossible the situation was when they commanded, don't reduce your daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them. The supervisors said, let the Lord see and judge what you've done. You've made us stink in the opinion of Pharaoh and his servants. You've given them reason to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, my Lord, why have you abused this people? Why do you send me for this? After, ever since I first came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has abused this people, and you've done absolutely nothing to rescue your people. The Lord replied to Moses, now you will see what I'll do to Pharaoh. In fact, he'll be so eager to let them go that he'll drive them out of this land by force. All right. So that is pretty strange passage that we are covering tonight and we're gonna go uh, back to chapter four earlier in chapter four and just kind of go over a topic that we couldn't cover last week because of time but i think is an important subject to to cover and basically it's when moses is asking for a sign and in uh, in the previous verses, so we started at verse 19, so the beginning part of chapter 4 is where this is at, 1 through 18. And Moses asks God to give him a sign. So God replies and says, I'm going to give you a sign after it's all over. And so they get into this little scuttle back and forth about Moses needing a sign. And so God gives him several signs and the first sign that he gives Moses is he takes the staff Moses staff and tells Moses to drop the staff on the ground or throw the staff on the ground and it turned to a snake and then the staff then you pick up the snake and it will turn back to a staff so in Egyptian well we we see the mummified and the casing around the mummified bodies now but you will see in uh, pharaohs or leaders of the egyptian people is there is a big hood 
behind their head. And a lot of it is made out of gold and lots of jewels and things uh, within that big headdress. And that headdress represented <clears throat> the cobra. And the cobra was considered the mighty animal or the mighty serpent. <clears throat> better, <clears throat> excuse me, better than any other or more powerful than any other serpent that uh, was on earth was the cobra. So the staff turning into a cobra and then the tail turning back into a staff that means that and basically that's the sign that that moses will have god will have power even over the most powerful snake pharaoh so what do we learn about signs and symbols at this point is we learn that signs and symbols are not the actual so if you if you're driving down a road and you you see a sign and it says you know take this exit and if you take that exit um that sign is not actually the road that you're on it's the sign pointing to the road that you're on so the signs and the symbols that you see in scripture actually are pointing you to a direction or pointing you to a road to take so the actual road or the actual destination is not the sign the sign's not the destination the destination's not the sign so why don't we just talk about the rest of the signs here and what they could possibly mean and the overarching picture of of just that section just a preliminary section before we jump into the main material that we're going to cover tonight yeah so like moses's hand Turning white as snow. So he reached out his hand that, and it's white yeah. as snow, and then he puts it back in, it reached out again, it's healed, right? Which is the, which right. is the symbol of like the 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 white as snow means it's a leprous hand. It's mm -hmm. actually a diseased of some kind hand. Flaky right. skin. Flaky skin, psoriasis. Yeah. Is that psoriasis? Yeah, like the I'm not the, sure not sure but anyway okay and then we have the the nile turns to blood what about that one what does that what does that tell us a couple things first is that it's a foreshadowing of plagues to come but also that the main source of income in life for the mm -hmm. egyptians how they lived what they did um, that that was going to be completely threatened. And so if Moses has power over water in Egypt, that is the greatest power that anyone could have because it's a desert kingdom. Hmm. So does blood have any significance other than just death or or such i mean what is somebody just texted me and told me that my volume is lighter than the other two yes i'm gonna turn up the volume is that better we'll see if that's <laughs> better you turned your volume up on your board um i can you need to do that yeah <laughs> okay well i could have is that better much Test better one, there two. you go mm -hmm. there we go okay Sorry. Okay, got it. All right, thank you. Okay, so tell us, uh, tell me, teach me something about blood. What does that <laughs> represent besides death? Uh, life. This is going in, yeah, life. <laughs> okay. This is moving forward, I, I think, in the, in the Hebrew scriptures. Um, but, like, through the sacrificial system, blood, and and all of the ritual laws and everything, blood is a symbol of life. So, like later on, we learn like blood is uh, blood is like a um, yes yeah, symbol of life. But blood's a covering. We see like the sacrifice mm -hmm. of Jesus, the lambs of you know like bringing sacrifices to the temple. That all comes uh, becomes like a covering. But then here in this beginning section of four, 
this section, the Nile turning to blood, that like is a negative thing. So is there something mm -hmm. there that I'm missing or because I always think of blood is like a positive thing, covering of sin or I don't think spilt, right. spilt blood. And it has to do with the death of um, all of the drowned Israelite boys. That is also the motif yeah. that that out of that death, the Nile would be ruined. Mm. Um, that reminds me of um, the, the Cain and Abel story when God says that Abel's blood cried out. The rocks right. cried out. Right. Yeah. Okay. Then the last, if we can jump forward, the last portion of this passage Aaron um, basically Moses says that he's slow of speech we're not quite sure what that means besides some people say he stuttered which that's kind of a guess but we would say or I would I would make a better guess that because he was raised in Egyptian household he probably didn't know Hebrew until he went out and spent time with Hebrews Israelites and then was his was that enough time to learn adequate Hebrew, um, or did he lose his Egyptian language by being with yeah. the Hebrews? I mean, I mean, what is the Midians? Like, I mean, back? yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, with the Midians, did he lose something being out there with the Midians? Did he, like, what happened there? Do we have any guesses? We don't know. I mean, it could even be he just doesn't want to do it and doesn't think he's a great leader and <laughs> yeah. that's another excuse just an excuse builder i i like the story of that he didn't he did not find himself well versed in hebrew enough to lead the nation mm -hmm. okay although he would be very very versed in egyptian Right. He would have known because he was raised in an Egyptian household. He would have known Egyptian. Right. So he would yeah. have known. And he was raised. He was Pharaoh. He was raised with his with his with his biological mother until he was weaned three, four, five. Mm -hmm. And so right. he would have picked up something as well along the way. Right. So I think that I think the bigger story here. Yeah, we focus on that Moses, what, couldn't talk very well, stuttered. This was an excuse builder, lost his language somewhere. Something was going on. Maybe it was just something that he was like trying to dodge the, the activity. Mm -hmm. God saying, you need to go to Pharaoh, but we're going to dodge the activity. I can't handle this anymore. So, uh, so, but what's really important about this is Aaron is then stepping in at this point. And we really don't have the time to unpack this because we've spent uh, a lot of time on this first section already. But where did Aaron come from? And that's a question that I think that is like, Aaron just disappears on the scene. Did he not die in the whole slaughter? Did he, like he ends up in this different place in Egypt? Uh, you know, he just shows up on the scene. Did he so sneak where out? where Aaron come from? Did he sneak out? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but Aaron is introduced in chapter four, basically in 410, he shows up on the scene. He's a Levitical priest. Um, um no, he is a Levite. I mean, I'm sorry. He's a Levite. He'll be a priest. Spoiler alert. He will be. Yes. Yeah, spoiler alert. Sorry. He, he's a Levite will eventually become the priest. Um, but for now, he's just Moses's brother. And he's, I guess, not slow of speech, whatever that means. Like he's more versed or doesn't have, you know, a, a problem there. So Moses then, uh, Aaron stands in for Moses. Moses is not speaking. Aaron speaks on behalf of Moses, making Aaron a prophet type person. So now we see a prophet type person between now God, Moses, and Aaron, 
making Moses, and this is why Moses becomes like for all of Jewish history, Israelite history, Hebrew history, becomes this super important person because basically Moses is standing in for God. And then Moses to some become like God, like he becomes like God at this moment. But just to conclude really quick this section, the signs and the symbols are like chaos. And we see like the staff to snake, hand becomes white as snow, Nile turns to blood. We see all of these things in chapter four happening. That represents chaos. And then I was listening to somebody this week about this very passage. And they said, this is a reoccurring recreation story. So God looks at the chaos, hovers over the chaos, and brings order to the chaos. So this is like a preview of the chaos. But even with these signs and symbols, Moses still is walking into this situation um, really apprehensive, right? Extremely. Yeah. I mean, I think I would. Yeah. <laughs> I, would be, uh, I would be apprehensive. It would be a scary situation. So the next like part of this, I just wrote a real simple statement is disappointments are a part of human experience. Yet how we navigate those disappointments really is an issue of our faith, not the disappointment itself. And so our, we will experience disappointments as human experience, but how we navigate those disappointments really is an issue of our faith, our perseverance, our tenacity, our giftedness, how we're engaged and intentional with growing through those disappointments. So there will be losses, there will be heartache, there will be struggle, and there's no promise that there won't be. And how do we navigate through those things? So that's our next section. Disappointments just are real. They're there. And we're kind of taking this whole next section, this whole chapter five, and we're in a sense summarizing it because Moses goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh doesn't respond the way that Moses thought, right? Yep. So summarize, Shreya, summarize the story really quick for us, really quick, so people can. Yeah, well, first, Moses goes to the Hebrew elders. Yes. And, and they're 100% on board, and they all go to Pharaoh. Yes. And Moses, or Pharaoh says, no, not going to do it. Um, right. So I imagine that that first small victory kind of bolstered Moses' confidence a little bit. Um which may have made Pharaoh's no an even bigger blow. So getting your elders supports and support and then going before yeah. the king. Yeah. And having your hopes dashed. <laughs> yeah. And so not only minute, does these, all, these people agree with me, <laughs> not only does Pharaoh say no, um, but Pharaoh makes their work harder. Um, so Moses made everything worse. <laughs> right. Well, sometimes things get worse before they get better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they, so basically Pharaoh says, you're going to keep the same workload, but now you're not <laughs> going to have straw that's just given to you. You got to go search for the straw right. too as well. So it becomes twice the, twice the work. I think yep. dis disappointments like this kind of disappointment. I mean, we've all been kind of in this situation, I think in life where we where we feel like we have all the giftedness now, we have all the support, we have maybe a few dollars in the bank, we're ready to hit the ground running. And then it's like we come to a screeching halt because life or a person or a situation says no. It's like, well, wait a minute. I have the promises of God in my back pocket. Yeah. Got these elders here, they're all saying rock and roll. And then I end up actually doing it and I just fall flat on my face. I think that that's kind of a 
kind of a life principle that that happens. <laughs> so what do we do with that? That's the question. It's like this whole story, I think is a powerful sacred story that shows us that disappointments will happen. It's just how do we navigate through them? So Jake, how does hope, like what you did a lot of studying on hope. So what is hope? I know that you studied uh, Jürgen Moltmann's ideas of hope. So give us some, what is hope? What is hope? Did well, you write I paper on hope. That's a few. Yeah. Um, That's cool. Hope in, in this sense would be an expectation of different, but hope in eschatology, like a, like the end times hopes, like when, when, when the world is ending, hope is the idea that, that we get to engage in the recreation of earth. Um, theological hope is, is the counter narrative to uh, the, the everything burns and we blow off the earth in rapture. Um, hope in, in a biblical sense is that we are co-creators with God that we create, we create heaven around us. And so if we transpose that onto Moses's story, especially in this section, he probably believed that, he was starting a nation again, that he was going to be able to create heaven around him. Um, didn't know what this was going to look like until Mount Sinai and where we see Sabbath and Shalom and the Jubilee coming over and over again. Right. Um, wealth distribution, parting was all tied in together. Um, but for that hope that here is just the hope that things are going to be majorly different. So we have, we have small expectations. So what I hear you saying is that we have large hopes we have big ideas that encompass hope. And then we have small expectations that are also little hopes, right? So I have the hope that I will get a good night's sleep tonight I will wake up tomorrow and have a good day. So good night's sleep, good day tomorrow, right? <laughs> so, That's my hope. And, I, and my hope is that this podcast really is okay for people that they really learn something. So that's a, like a little hope, right, that I have. Um, then I have larger expectations that I hope that my children grow up in the Lord. I hope that my children are healthy. I hope that my children don't suffer. And I hope that they grow up knowing Jesus and can live, you know, a, a sense of joy. I know that happiness sometimes is fleeting, but then I hope that joy, state of joy is always in their action. Um, and then there, I know that there's that big hope that, that, that eternal eschatological end moment of hope. So I think that we're talking here about the raw human experience of hope that I juxtaposed know to, to disappointment, juxtaposed to disappointment, but also not necessarily, not necessarily like thinking too far up in the clouds that God is going to take care of this yet, because that's not where Moses is at. Moses doesn't know that God is going to, cause all of these things to occur in a reoccurring sense, these plagues, he doesn't know that's going to happen. So his hope is I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it. Watch this, watch this. And then Pharaoh says, no. So I think about in my child mess <laughs> when I want to do something and when I want to enter into, you know, an activity or I want to, you know, do something with my day and I'm told no, like, right. You're not allowed to do that today. So that becomes difficult. Some of the, some of those are some of the hardest things that we have to 
you know, deal with in life is just being told no. Could happen with her, with anything. So Moses is told yeah. no. How do you guys deal with no? I don't deal well with no. Sure, yeah, I, think first. I think <laughs> I I mean it probably depends on the situation, but I probably not well. <laughs> um something I was just thinking about though, um I think in a way disappointment kind of validates the hope. Um if you're able to sit with that feeling of disappointment for a little bit. Um because it means that you believed in something. Right. It means that you put your effort towards something. You're the great lamenter in my life. You always say that. It's good to sit with that emotion. <laughs> it's not good to sit there. I don't want to sit with that. I don't <laughs> want to sit there. I want to move on. And for you to tell me yes. <laughs> well, I think that we're faced with a, a huge uh, human condition. when And a lesson learned here is that Moses the Pharaoh is a dashing of, of hope to disappointment and that disappointment is there's there's disappointment embedded in hope and hope is embedded in disappointment and so you really can't be disappointed unless you had some sense of hope mm -hmm. and then you can't renew a hope unless you have spent some time being disappointed there's nothing to to like grab on for yeah grab on to so what's the, metaf this, what's the metaphor ahead. of the uh the ship throwing out the log and the rope and pulling forward the anchor yeah yeah um, that's how you in a storm a storm yeah mm -hmm. your hope becomes your anchor in the storm yeah you keep throwing it out and that's how you move forward is you throw out your anchor and then you pull your anchor line towards the boat. Right. That's a beautiful picture of how we traverse through storm. Disappointments. Right. Well, you both are old enough now that you've gone through some pretty big, I'm sure disappointments. I know that my daughter, you know, she's 12 and, her disappointments are pretty, pretty limited um, and not invalid by any means. Cause I mean, her, her world, you know, when something, when she's told no, you know, that's like, I mean, that's a big, like your disappointment so container grows and either way it still fills the whole container. Well, but yeah. And honestly, it feels the same, whether mm -hmm. we're 12, 20 or you know, 90, the, the idea of disappointment um, is still that same feeling. I, I believe that this is something really important to, you know, just take a pause and think about, I guess, Moses and how he would have been disappointed. So when I was thinking about this and kind of reading, uh, I came across some psychological material that I thought I thought was really important when it came to disappointment and how we cast, let's use Jake's metaphor. I don't know who actually came up with that metaphor, but um, the anchor being thrown forward and pulling the boat through the storm, right? Well, that's an activity that we actually have to do. And Moses is actually recreating himself in this whole uh, scene. Like he's becoming a renewed person. So we can't forget that. I mean, think about he was an Egyptian household. He killed somebody. He ran. Now he's in the wilderness. He gets married. He's like this different person, but now he's being called to even a more different person. And that transformation, I guess, is something to really pay attention to. And, and Jake, did you have something to say there? No, we're good. Just oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I thought, I thought you just wanted to say something. So I looked up how to reinvent ourselves. And is there a psychological pattern to reinventing ourselves when we go through disappointment? How do we cast the, cast the anchor forward? And I thought, well, does this follow the 
the line and the, the story of Moses. And it kind of does because the first thing then reinvent, reinventing ourselves is, is uh, we answer the question, honestly, do we really want to change? Do we really want to do this? Do we really want to change? And I think that Moses had, do I really want to go to Pharaoh? Do I really want to question his authority? He had to ask, eventually say, okay, I'll go. Like he I think had to say that. A step deeper, do I want to go back to my brother? <laughs> and ask him to speak for me? No, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so Pharaoh at the time would have been Moses' adopted brother. Yes, got it. And so it's it's more familial than just Pharaoh. Right. It's I have to now navigate this awkward relationship mm-hmm. while speaking for God. Right. Well, he had to answer that question. Do I really want to do this? We all have to answer that question. And when we're disappointed and we have a calling, we have a mission, we have a you know, an idea, a job, a career, a business, whatever it is, a family, a, a project. It could be just a little project and it doesn't turn out the way that we really wanted it to turn out, right? There's too many missed stitches in the hat, Sharia, or <laughs> the project wasn't really what it meant to be. Do I really want to start this again? Do I really want to do this again? How about if we just have a wonderful 2021? That was a great run. I quit, right? So, so, quit on a high note. Um, so do we really want to move forward? Then this, the, this nine points of change and transformation and reinventing, recreating ourselves. We need to prioritize our new line of tasks. We need the right people with us. I thought of Aaron when I thought of that. We need solid leadership to affirm our go. I thought of the elders when I read that. We need to practice and retreat and practice again. I thought, well, that's previews of coming attractions right there where we need to go to Pharaoh, ask again, retreat, practice, ask again, back and forth he goes. We need to be honest with ourselves and others. What are my weaknesses? What are my challenges? What are my strengths in this? Then we need to enter into what we believe is our stretch zone so the stretch zone is what is what is going to what pressure am i going to feel in order to grow we need to manage the change pay close attention to the change and then we need to repeat the process on a rhythm now of course this this article i was reading about reinventing ourselves is every 24 hours we need to revisit it we come back and revisit this plan so I thought it was really interesting that just a principle, a life principle that's written in psychology today, um, you know, there is a biblical premise for reinvention or recreation. And this story of Moses becomes that process of reinvention and recreation. So before we get too far away from the scriptures. Let's come back to them. And Jake, do you want to just quickly like talk about just in detail how the book of Exodus is a recreation story or a reoccurring recreation story? We mentioned it through this talk, but let's just pull it apart a little bit farther. When you read the first three chapters of Genesis, I, which we can dispute if that's one single creation story or two or three. Um, the very first section is God is hovering over the chaos and God brings order out of chaos. And when he, when God speaks, it's that reordering of, of creation of that, that abyss of that. So he is getting chaos. And so every time where we see there be chaos and then a reordering from that chaos, that, that is a recreation narrative. So you have the, um, the plagues are coming up 
and out of those, and in those plagues, it is a representation of chaos and in the killing of the Egyptian first poor. And that is the emotion of chaos. And then they, every time that they, they move from, from dry land to dry land, as God reordered dry land in a couple recreations in the Noah story and in the, the first account of Genesis, the separation from the waters to dry land, God's recreating again. And so over and over again in, in Exodus, we see that there is a, a chaos building and God reorders from that chaos. And eventually we see in Christ that Jesus, what do we see in the Christ story then? It takes still, it all the way. So one step back, the perfect order of creation is actually Isaiah 9. Um, that is the, the ultimate picture of, of perfect peace. Uh, where the lion will lay down the lamb, the child will play over the asp's den and will not get bit. And so Isaiah is, is claiming at that point the perfect peace. And then they point to the Messiah at that point, that the Messiah will bring that perfect peace. And so coming out of Christ, you have the, the metaphor of baptism, you have the, the chaos of death into a rebirth that Jesus mm -hmm. is the is the firstborn of the new creation he's called and so that is the reordering from from chaos to to order so these signs like in the beginning of four the plagues but also um we see ultimately that there's chaos. All of this represents chaos. Yeah, the plagues, the signs, the um, we we read a story that I don't know if we're going to talk about tonight of God trying to almost kill Moses. We don't know what that totally means, but there's chaos there, and then he goes into into that. So he crosses over from dry land to dry land. Well, let's let's take a rabbit trail since you brought it up. <laughs> I just want to take a rabbit trail because it's weird on, and we ought to address it. We need to address something <laughs> in this scripture because I mean, we can just like take a little commercial break for the circumcision here. So you have to go back to that passage. Shreya, would you read that? Cause Jake had to read it the first time. Yeah. I can read it the third time. We're all going to read this passage. Three times. Lectio Divina. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So where is this passage here? This is rough. This is like one of those passages. Of okay, 24. Yep. The, why does the Bible have to get so weird? Because this is weird. All right. Exodus 4, 24. During their journey, as they camped overnight, the Lord met Moses and tried to kill him. But Zipporah took a sharp-edged flint stone and cut off her son's so foreskin. So in response, is this in response? In response. It to... seemed like it. Okay, all right. Then she touched Moses' genitals with it, and she said, You are my bridegroom because of bloodshed. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she announced, A bridegroom because of bloodshed by circumcision. I would want to be left alone too. <laughs> just leave me alone. <laughs> After that happened, if that happened, let alone. Just, just yeah. So, so the so support. So go back to that scripture, Jake. Could you, uh, can you bring that scripture up just one I more can. time? Yeah, just sorry. leave it up on the screen. Yeah. Okay. So we have. During their journey as they camped overnight, the Lord met Moses and tried to kill him. That's like an unexplainable thing, right? Yep. We're not sure. What Go to Egypt, exactly but you're going to be killed. Right. But Zipporah took a sharp edged flint stone. So, but Zipporah, I'm assuming in the Hebrew, it actually is in a response 
took a sharp-edged flint stone and cut off her son's foreskin. Sorry, go ahead. I apologize. Oh, okay. You're going to go to the Hebrew. Okay. Then touched Moses's genitals with it and said, you are my bridegroom because of bloodshed. Okay, so let's unpack that. Number one, why in the world would you cut off your son's foreskin and touch Moses's genitals with it? Is there any explanation for this? Yes. Okay. But why was there that is one? Why why was that her first thought? I'm not sure. Okay. Well, we know that circumcision was a practice. Yes. It is a it is a retelling of the Abraham story. Okay. That Abraham circumcised his entire household while he was traveling. And then they stayed for a few days, obviously. Kind of hard to walk. Was this a practice to touch your dad's genitals I'm, with I'm, the foreskin? It's and I'm not sure. But the uh should we get into foot now? I mean you can. I'm just wondering, was it anywhere in scripture do we see anything like this? No. Okay. So this is kind of a one-off. There yeah. could be some <laughs> There could well. be some thematic ties <laughs> to Passover um, in that blood was shed and the angel of death passed over Moses, but Can you just make a pendant out of it or something? Um, For Passover, like I said in our prelim stuff, I really would appreciate wine and bread, not this. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, so this is where the Bible gets really awkward. So let's just land on this with this scripture because we have to go back to our last point and, and kind of wrap things up. So what do we do with these awkward passages? Shreya, help me out here. Because when I read that, I go, okay, that is number one. The first thing that I think is I'm like a, you know, eighth grader. And we all snickered when we, when Jake read it, we all snickered. So we're all yep. eighth graders, right? Oh, we said, you know, penis in, you know, church. And so, so like we snicker, but it's like, it's, it's just a gross activity. So like, why, what do we do with this awkward, I would say, perceived gross activity, um, painful and weird. It is weird. So what do we do with the weird stuff? Yeah. All the weird stuff, not just this weird stuff. Yes. Like, yeah. let's, let's bring this. Yes. I, I think it can be useful to look for some of the broad themes, um, kind of like we just did, that there could be a mirroring of the Abraham story. Um, there could be a foreshadowing of the Passover story. Um, so finding those links to other stories um, can help us out a little bit. Um, but also, I think it's a great reminder that this is a book that was written and compiled in a very different time in a very different place. And it's a caution to have some humility, even when we interpret the things that we think we know, because there's a lot that we don't know. That's something that I never want to know. <laughs> yeah. You know? Presumably the original audience would have heard that and been like, Oh yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Done that. Like, or, Maybe that's a practice. I mean, like, what is, what is it? We just don't know. It's one of those, I guess, just little awkward statements that are made in scripture that that's the beauty of, of scripture though, I think is it's fully God's inspired word written fully by humankind. And so if you take those two ideas and put them together, you're going to have awkward at some point. And then you write it, you know, literally like in a different era of time. And now we just have a language gap. We have a metaphor gap. We have, we don't even know the practice. Circumcision happens in the hospital away from everybody. We don't talk about it. You know, they seem like they just talked about it like it was, 
oh yeah you know it's like going over to going over to aunt Susie's for dinner you know it's like hey let's just all go check out little joey's circumcision you know it's just it's like this practice that they they did and it's just awkward for us i think that's great i think we can make ken look at overarching themes all right let's get back to let's get back to the disappointment i love commercial how this break ends. over what commercial break over yeah commercial back to the story please so uh so I just love this ending part. And, and Jake, why don't you take this ending part? Because I, I think that you can do something with it where it's easy to blame others for our disappointment and not allow them to just be disappointments. And the last part of the scripture is there's a lot of blame and, and such. So it's easy to blame others for our disappointments and not allow them to be disappointments. And that's the last part of our, our discussion. Yeah, so Moses was uh, went in front of Pharaoh again and was told no again, ridiculed, sent away. So there's you have your your main disappointment. And then the people that he was trying to help the most turned their back on him as well. I think that that rejection is where I think Moses' disappointment lands, not so much Pharaoh, because God told him at the beginning that God was going to harden Pharaoh's heart, right? So he, right. I think he had the expectation that Pharaoh was going to tell him no, but it was the people's response to, to Moses trying his best, trying to, trying to help them, trying to save them. And when you look at this passage, you know, Moses definitely could have just walked away, could have gone back to Midian with everybody, right. could have, you know, probably maybe even returned to Pharaoh's own household. We're not quite sure, but he turned to God instead, voiced frustration up, not down or out. Right. And God moved forward. And so, I mean, could you imagine like that prayer at dinner time over at your family Thanksgiving, <laughs> like voicing your frustration to God over grace? <laughs> I have been a part of those. It's a little weird as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, yeah. I think, I think that it's important to note the, the word perseverance is really important because we're going to see coming up that Moses perseveres through the nose that he perseveres through these. And the idea of perseverance, I think is important because our reaction to disappointment usually is to blame. It's to find a person to point the finger at. So if, if that person told me, no, it's their fault. Or if the situation, my career, my, my family, my children, whatever it is that tells me no, my friends tell me no, that it's their fault. And it's easy to point the finger out when we experience a lack of hope and a lack of, and an and a overwhelming feeling of disappointment. Yet our, that's our human response. Our spiritual response if I, if I could fully engage my relationship with Christ at this point and not just live in my human, you know, cesspool of responses of blame and shame and finger pointing. And I told you so. I mean, all of that is written. Yeah, bum. I mean, uh, come on. <laughs> like, Lazy bum. That was, that was earlier, but it's like, wow, that was like harsh language. But I told you so. That's a, that's another wonder it's all your fault it's since the beginning of the time that i first met you that we first knew each other i knew you were this way i mean that was that's written right there for all eternity to see and so so human condition is we blame but spiritual condition the renewed spirit that we have perseverance can be our response 
So you guys are the Greek Hebrew scholars, you and Shreya. And so do you guys have any thoughts on the word perseverance? Like, is there anything special that we need to know about perseverance? Just off the top of your head, all the things that you've studied on perseverance, is there anything special? I don't have anything stored, but it looks like Jake is pulling up our backup brain on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wikipedia. No, just kidding. <laughs> Keep going. Let's try it out, Trey. I'll, I'll pull something up here in a second. I don't. I don't a, get give it. Us a general definition of perseverance. What does that mean to you? To keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it's a one foot in front of the other experience, like. I love some of the recovery ideas and 12-step programs are out there because it really does focus on, there's a slogan, mm-hmm. one day at a time. Uh, yeah, it really is one day at a time, one moment at a time. Sometimes I'm in so much pain or so much disappointment that it's one, like one thought at a time that I really just need to calm my brain down. And I don't think we're there yet as a culture we're not in a persevering culture. We are in a very reactive culture. So when we feel disappointed, we take our disappointments to Facebook. We take our disappointments to social media and we express all of our emotions on the social media without any thought sometimes, without like Sharia says, sit with it. I think perseverance, we sit with things for a while. That's a part of perseverance so that we can adequately respond. I think, Jake, did you find anything? What verse are you in? Oh, I'm not. I'm not. The, the word perseverance is okay. not in that. My, my that's it. That's it. Like yeah. what? I, I got real confused there. No, it's okay. Please it's keep okay. going. You can keep going. Give me a two cents. Okay. I just was asking if you guys had any thoughts yeah. about the idea of perseverance. I mean, if you don't, just tell me no. I don't. But, okay. Doing the next right thing. The next right thing. Yeah. Well, perseverance as I study it in scripture means that number one, we're taking an honest, really raw look at a situation, an honest look at a situation. We're not candy coating it. We're not dressing it in, you know, fancy clothes. We're not making it look like something that is not real. So Moses looking at Pharaoh and Moses seeing the situation, perseverance, the reason why he came, the reason why he went back, I think one of the crucible moments is him actually taking an honest assessment about what's happening and the situation and probably being re-reminded about where the Israelite people were. They were in, they were in prison. They were in slavery work slavery and they were being treated poorly. And so that whole idea of the straw being removed Mm -hmm. and actually being a witness of that and seeing that again, how harsh the Pharaoh could be. I think that honest, real raw look at a situation that honest spirituality, we don't have that as people. We were afraid of that when life is bad we try to kind of press it away and, and, and pressing that away, I think is a, oh, it's a, it's a dysfunction. So number one, I think that Moses took an honest look at the situation. He did acknowledge, uh, he's already acknowledged his limitations so he actually acknowledged early on his limitations. Can't speak. Afraid. Huh? Can't, Can't speak. speak. I'm afraid. Yeah, all these I'm things. I'm done. I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. Um, but then lastly, I think there's something that's really important that we all can learn from this story, in especially the end, or excuse me, the beginning of chapter six, is God says something that Moses already knows. And Moses was holding on to the promise of God, that there was a promise that he was given and he was holding on to that promise. And he was reminded of that promise. We see in, in six, one, where 
God will release the Israelite people from slavery, even if he has to do it by force. It's going to happen. And that 6-1 just kind of brings all things right together right there is Moses knew his limitations. Moses took an honest look at the situation. And now we're going to get into how this promise is carried out, but the promise, he had the promise of God um, and he knew it. He knew that God was present and was going to make this happen. Now, how it probably turned out and how it happened was something different. That was a ride. <laughs> it was a ride coming up. Um, so just the close down and you guys think about two applications you can give us. Cause I know you've been thinking about this all day long, two applications. So, so I think that there's a principle in life that I pulled out of this that I think is really uh, cru crucial for me is when I'm dealing with chaos and when I'm dealing with struggle and when I'm dealing with disappointments and my hope is down and I, I just am lost. Maybe like that's a very raw human experience. Everyone goes through it. Everyone uh, endures it in different ways, right? Some people have lost that I know personally have lost children. Like their children have died. Um, that is just unbelievably, how do you persevere through that? Like, how do you like overcome those kinds of losses I pray that no one else that I know experiences those kinds of losses, but I know that they're real. It's a raw human experience. And we have in the last two years have really experienced some raw human experiences of death and loss and sickness and, and like almost like a plague of, you know, of gargantuan plague. proportions. Yeah. Plague. Literally a plague. Um, there's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of friction that happens mm. in these events. And the thing that we also live in is we know and experience and interact with a very supernatural, powerful God. And so those are the two, I guess, I guess, uh, modes of life is that we have a raw human experience, but we know that we have a very supernatural God that can, that these two can come together um, in life. And we're going to see how those come together here soon when we see the plagues come and the Israelite people eventually, spoiler alert, eventually they get released. If you watch the Prince of Egypt, you know how this all turns out. So I prefer 10 commandments Ten commandments. Yes. <laughs> All right, give us some applications. Let's close it down. Two applications. Shreya and then Jake, or Jake and then Shreya. Who has it? Go for it, Shreya. I, I am prepared. Okay. You're prepared. Um, wow. I am. Nice. Um, well, I'm going to invite us to sit with something uh, rather than give us something to go do. Okay. You're that person for me. I am. Um, so this is um, a quotation from Parker Palmer, Parker Palmer, um, who is one of my favorite people. He's an artist, educator, and activist um, who writes about education and community building. Um, so this is a favorite quotation. I think it speaks to disappointment and all of our options in disappointment to our raw human experiences and the power of God. Okay. When we do not allow divergent problems to pull us open to the power of love, we are unable to stay in the creative tensions of the community of truth. One more I'm gonna, time. Yep. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> When we do not allow divergent problems to pull us open to the power of love, we are unable to stay in the creative tensions of the community of truth. Hmm. Thank you. I should have gone first. 
<laughs> would you like me to read it at, at the end as a benediction? That'd be nice. Yes, yes. please. Okay. Yes, that would be wonderful. In my extensive uh, word study search of persevere and perseverance. Okay. That happens used, just right now. Yes. Used Good. once in the Old Testament altogether. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's to grow, to grow strong or to, to stand firm, to strength. Okay. It's in Nehemiah when Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall okay. and developing his strength, standing firm and have slow progress. That's perseverance. Hmm. But if you look into, into Exodus, like what word could, would be close to perseverance if we're going to talk that way? And it would be steadfast. Okay. And and the the word that's always attached to steadfast is is love. It's the steadfast love that, that God has, the they call the chesed, the never ending, always pursuing, never failing love of God that, that we're supposed to emulate, that we're supposed to to give. And so Perseverance, probably not the right word for Exodus, but definitely steadfast in all of our actions, all of our doing the next right thing. I think you saw Moses throughout the whole time doing the next right thing that he tried his best. And later on, you see him strike the rock three times. And that's the one thing he does like very wrong after killing the Egyptian guy. That's what you see him doing wrong in all of Exodus. And so he was steadfast in his love of God, love of his people, and the love of, of hope, change, better, different. So what's the difference between steadfast and perseverance? Just really quick. Because that uh, perseverance is like, we need to persevere. I mean, it's kind of like a modern day term, right? And then steadfast is like that word that nobody uses. Like it's an old term. I mean, they they could be um, synonyms, synonyms, but yeah, yeah. They're, they're the same word. But one's an adjective and one's a noun. Well, you could change persevere into an adjective as well. Yeah, persevering yeah. and steadfasting. Steadfasting. <laughs> Sheree, you want to give us that benediction one more time? And we'll close yeah. with your words there. Or, or Parker. Parker Palmer. Parker Palmer. Palmer, yes. When we do not allow divergent problems to pull us open to the power of love, we are unable to stay in the creative tensions of the community of truth. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your night. Take care.